Oh well, I'm pleased to say we are actually sat in Ostrovesta and it is snowing. It's, uh, it's January and uh, I'm in the kitchen of uh, landscape photographer Matt Botwood. Um, we're outside uh, the small village of Ostrovesta in the Brecon Beacons where he lives and um, there's a thick bed of snow out there. Uh, we had quite an interesting journey getting to the place and fortunately Matt came to rescue us in his four-wheel drive because we would never have made it here in our cars. Yes. And uh, it's very nice to meet you Matt. Yes, nice to meet you too Rob. Yeah, Good. Nice. So um, tell us, uh, how did you come to this, um, this woolly bit of Wales? Uh, yeah, well I'm obviously not Welsh. Yeah. You might be able to tell from my accent. Um, I, I've always loved the countryside and I've always wanted to live in the middle of nowhere. Uh, and I suppose we, we had an opportunity a few years ago, back in, well, quite a long time ago now, back in year 2000, um, when my wife moved jobs and we were looking for a new house mm -hmm. uh, near, near Bristol. I know this isn't near Bristol, but uh, that's, that's the way things go. And um, we saw this house in the estate agency and it just looked fantastic. I mean, you see this house in the middle of nowhere, I mean, obviously you're sitting here now, you, you know where, where we are, it's, it's pretty isolated. Pretty remote. Um, not most people's idea of, a, of an ideal property. It's, it's a long way to John Lewis from here. Um, you wouldn't, wouldn't want to nip down the shops for a, for a bottle of milk if you've forgotten one. Uh, but I just love living in the landscape itself, you know, in, in the mountains. Um, we're about a thousand foot up here, mm -hmm. um, so we're exposed to quite a lot of weather, as you can see. Mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, it's, it's snowy here, but uh, as where I picked you up from wasn't too bad, so it, it does, does change quite a lot. Yes, it's, uh, it's definitely a lot worse up here. Yeah. Than, uh, I'd say, I mean, landscape, you know, landscape photography is all about the weather and you certainly get a lot of it up here. Mm. Unfortunately, most of it is rain. Yes, uh, yeah, we had noticed which, recently. <laughs> which, which is less useful, uh, um, but it's worth it for, for days like today. Um, yes, when, the snow yeah. when, when you really want to be out with your camera and there's some idiot doing a photo, uh, doing an interview with you. <laughs> uh, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love to be, I love to be out Well worth it, yes. Okay, so um, tell us a bit about your, your past in photography and sort of how, how you've developed uh, I, I was interested in photography from a very early age. Um, I think I probably had my first camera when I was about seven or eight. And um, I mean, those. Similar story. Yeah. yeah, it, yeah. It, at first, it was just one of those cameras where you took pictures and it got sent off the whole camera and it, it came back. Yeah. Um, but it didn't take long before I wanted something better. And a, a friend of the family gave me an old um, Zorky, one of those Russian Leica knockoffs. Mm -hmm. um, and I just found I really, really enjoyed taking photographs and the rest of my family weren't really interested. So I'd be the one taking the, the family snaps. Mm. Um, and then when I got into my teenage years and I'd replace that camera with something that worked a bit better, slightly more reliable, um, uh, both myself and, and my best friend at the time, we decided that you know, we wanted to develop our own film. So we, we both set up dark rooms in our bedrooms and um, so it went from there really. Uh, I'm sure all the photographs I developed then, uh, and I, I do still have some, uh, I'm sure they were all awful, um, but at least it introduced me to uh, the process of developing your own pictures, which I think was quite important in, in photography. It's not just about snapping them, sending them off and uh, seeing the results come back. It's, you know, the, the, the process itself was quite important to me then, although I don't use film now, of course. Um, and I, I, so I really got into it and then I left it for a, quite a long time, went to university, I disappeared off into a career in, in IT uh, and then... This is almost a complete mirror <laughs> of my existence well, actually. I, yeah, and actually yeah. if, you, if you look at a lot of photographers' biographies, biographies uh, a lot of them have, have taken that sort of path. Mm. Um, but you know, while, while I was working uh, in an IT career I still enjoyed taking um, 
snaps of where where we went on holiday. Um, although those snaps started to get a bit more serious, I you know, really wanted to capture the essence of the place. And um, and then I had an opportunity when um, when we decided to have children, uh, one of us really couldn't have that sort of career anymore, couldn't have this career where we're travelling a lot. Um, so I offered to uh, give up, become the house husband, and, and that's given me an opportunity really to, to start focusing on photography a lot more. Um, interestingly, initially at first I thought, oh, that's okay, I'm a photographer, I know what I'm doing, I can go out and I can take photographs and I can sell them in local galleries. Um, and I, I think I realise now that I wasn't a very good photographer then, mm-hmm. um, but I was quite good at maybe selling the work, so, mm. so I could actually sell quite a lot of the work. I, I, I'm agreeing because it's a familiar story rather than I'm, I'm agreeing that you weren't a good yeah. photographer, by the way. <laughs> well, I, I, I think I've been there. everybody develops with time, but, but yeah. I think you, you can... Yeah, if, you, if you work hard enough, you can get places to sell your photographs. Yes. Um, yeah. Certainly mm-hmm. living in a place like the Brecon Beacons, um, there are plenty of uh, tourist outlets to, mm-hmm. to sell um, what we might term pretty landscapes. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's relatively easy to produce those sorts of images, um, not to belittle those that produce them professionally because you know, some, of, some of them are, are incredible images. Um, but I found it relatively easy to, to sell some of those images. But then what I was doing was I was spending all my time going around uh, finding new outlets for the work, uh, finding new shops, trying to sell more, going out, producing more work to sell, producing greetings cards. I was sort of turning this into this factory of producing consumer purchasable images, um, which wasn't really what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. It's not, not really the sort of photography I was interested in. Because although I, I love landscape photography, I've been interested for quite a long time in, in more abstract images as well. And mm-hmm. although I would carry on producing those images, I'd find that, that you know, go to Brecon Craft Fair and you can't really sell an abstract image. Um, people are expecting pictures of the mountains. and um, So, so I, I sort of pulled back from that a bit. Um, I'm in a, in a lucky position to be able to do that. Um, my wife works very hard to, to keep me keep me into in 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 this uh, world of photography, um, and yeah, I, I I pulled back a bit from that. Didn't worry so much about trying to sell the work, and and spent probably the last maybe five years or so focusing more on taking the sort of images I want. Uh, and really, there's two types of photography I do. I, I really enjoy walking in the landscape, really enjoy getting up the mountains, and I'd still take a lot of pictures in those situations, and and those images generally are the ones that are still saleable, they get mm-hmm, mm-hmm. converted into prints, taken to galleries um, in, in Brecon and sold. Um, but that's really just my love of the landscape and the photography is somewhat secondary to that. I'd go out walking anyway. Uh, and so then, it's almost a record. Yes, it is. It is yeah. a record. It is a record, uh, but it's a record of a place that maybe other people can appreciate too. I mean, what, what I find with a lot of um, standard landscape photography is that you can appreciate it, I can appreciate it, if you've been to that place. Mm. So when I see other landscape images, um, of the sort of typical genre of landscape imagery, if I've been to that place, I think, oh, that's a, lo- you know, it's a lovely shot of that place, I remember standing there. But if it's a place I haven't been to, and it's a, it's a fairly standard landscape for a photograph, I have trouble appreciating it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It's, a bit like, it's a bit like showing someone your, your holiday snaps. And, I mean, recently I've been doing that online with, with all my old slide scans. Um, when someone's been to a place that you post a picture of, they start commenting on it, and it's, it's quite interesting to them. But if it's of a completely alien place, it doesn't really matter how good the straight photograph is, um, you don't tend to get as much feedback because people just look at it and take it for... The image. I mean, we're we're surrounded by images today. Uh, you know, guidebooks, internet, TV. There's so many good images of the landscape out there. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to have some sort of connection with that image. And so either you've been there and it's a lovely place and it's a pretty image, or there's something a bit more interesting about the image. And mm. I suppose that's really what I'm trying to focus on now is, is producing images that 
um, are quite local to here most of the time, um, but they also mean a bit more to me. They mm-hmm. Say a bit more about the landscape than, oh, isn't this a pretty place? Mm. How much are they about the landscape and how much are they maybe about the photographer? Well, that's an interesting question. And I, and I don't know if I can answer that because mm. I, I tend to not reveal um, my, my feelings, or I, I don't think I reveal my feelings, I probably do in my photographs. Um, and maybe, maybe that's the only way I, I do it. You know, I'm sort of, you know, a typical bloke in some ways, you don't talk about uh, a lot of stuff. Mm. Um, but maybe photography is that outlet for me. Um, although I, I don't like to make it too obvious maybe, but you know, certainly some, some of the, the images I produced, um, recent series, Into the Darkness, where I, I went into a small bit of forestry near here. Um, and part of that was just challenging my own fear because I, I never went in there initially when I saw this bit of forest because it was very dark. And mm. I, I'm actually quite scared, scared of going into the middle of a dark forest as, as a lot of people are. Um, but but you know, by, by turning it into a bit of a photographic project, it forced me to do that. It forced me to maybe challenge my, my fears in that way. So really, landscape photography has become a form of self-expression for you, hasn't it? Yes, yeah. probably, yeah, almost yeah. certainly has. Yeah. And I think that's probably true for a lot of us. Yeah. I mean, I can't, I can't, can't write. Or I wish I could write, but I, you know, sometimes wish, oh, it'd be great if I could write poetry. Mm. Um, but I can't do that. But I, mm. what I can do is I can, can take photographs. Oh, I, I um, just irritate people online with mine. But, <laughs> <laughs> but there's a big difference, isn't there, between seeing it as a form of self-expression and seeing it as a record? Oh, there is, and that, and that's why I think there are there are two branches to the to the photography I do at the moment. Um, and interestingly, the that there are two groups of, of people, almost two two populations in the world, and some some that are more interested in just your record of where you've been, mm. um, b- because perhaps they are just a lover of the countryside, and some more interested in your more personal work because um, they're more interested in you as a you as a person or your you know how you're expressing yourself or the the images that you've produced as part of that expression of, of your of your. Hmm. feelings and fears or, or whatever um, yes yeah. I don't know do you have to be interested in the person or is it a question of maybe those images reach people in a different way I don't think you have to be interested in the person maybe you have to be interested in what they're trying to say yeah uh, you know everybody shares certain feelings and certain fears and um, certain experiences and emotions and if the images you produce chime with some of the emotions or some of the feelings they have. Mm. If you, people generally, have, I think, have an emotional response to that sort of photography. Mm. And, that, you know, that emotional response, is it, is it because it's similar to them or something that, that, that affects them in some way? Um, I, think, I think that's, that's more, it's not the essay, it's not the person, it's, it's whether or not they, they, they can understand and re- relate to those feelings and those experiences. Mm-hmm. Looking out the window here, this um, might seem like a fairly obvious question, but uh, why landscape? <laughs> Why landscape? Um, it, that is a good question, really, because I have tried lots of forms of photography, lots of styles of photography. You dabbled in a bit of wedding photography? No, no, no. actually, no. I, I can absolutely say wedding is one one form of photography I've never touched. Even members of um, my extended family who have asked me, say, you know, t- the, t- the typical question, uh, <laughs> oh, 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 you're a photographer, will you will you do our wedding for us? Will you mm-hmm. do your cousin's wedding? Um, no, I have no interest whatsoever in wedding photography. Mm-hmm. I think there are probably you know, maybe two or three people that are interested in one set of wedding photographs. Um, uh, one of them's the photographer, and the other one is the bride and groom, probably or mm-hmm. bride and groom's parents. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I, I went to a lot of effort when I ha- when I had got married, and I chose a wedding photographer to choose a fantastic wedding photographer. But I wouldn't expect anybody else to appreciate those images in the same way. <laughs> um, so no, wedding photography certainly not. Um, 
I did when I started out um, when I gave up my, my IT job and moved to photography I started doing family portraits mm-hmm. um, because you know, having a young family myself it was good, pra- good practice material and it's quite an easy thing to do and around here there aren't any studios really so it was easy to go to people's houses and, and do that sort of work but again that was that was a style of photography that it can be lucrative you can make money doing it but it wasn't personally rewarding for me mm-hmm. um, and as my own children got older I realized how hard it was to photograph them well as well <laughs> uh, they're not the, not the most uh, compliant um, subject subjects yes. um, but I, I, I mean I admire all sorts of photography um, probably one of the areas of photography I admire most is street photography and partly that's because I'm so rubbish at it mm. you know, when I look at, at books of street photography I'm just so amazed that people have managed to capture that moment because you know, I wouldn't be quick enough. I'd, I'd still be trying to work out whether or not the, the image has been composed properly. Uh, so maybe that's the thing about landscape is I, I love being in a landscape. I love walking in the mountains. Um, I love traveling to new places. Um, but also the landscape is static. Uh, I don't have to worry about people in my images. And I, you know, I, I don't particularly enjoy taking pe- pictures of people when they haven't been given me permission. So that's sort of street photography mm-hmm. style of photograph. And, and I don't find it rewarding when they have given me permission <laughs> of portrait photography. So I think it's because I enjoy being in the landscape so much anyway. Um, you're right, where I live, you know, there aren't many other forms of photography that are so easily accessible where mm-hmm, I live. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, if I wanted to do any other form of photography, it would be tricky, <laughs> but I probably wouldn't be as interested in it anyway. Um, yeah, yeah. All makes sense to me. Um, so tell us a bit about your processes. Are you uh, digital, analog? Uh, digital, digital. I, I think I last shot a roll of film or five, ten years ago. Um, but it doesn't really matter, does it? Um, I mean, to me, it's it's really just the end result that, that you get. Uh, it is all digital. It's all done in Lightroom. Do you care? Um, I don't know. <laughs> uh, I think the process is important to me in in what I have to add to the image because I'm most of the images I produce are not what people would call straight photography. Mm-hmm. You know, one, one one group of people would just say, oh, you've messed around with that too much in Photoshop. Actually, I, I never really use Photoshop, but uh, I'm much more of a pictorialist than of the F64 group, certainly. I, I mean, I, <laughs> I, I can go out and produce a normal landscape picture um, if I want to, and, and you know, that they're But I mean, useful. actually, even with, if you look at Ansel Adams before he'd done the printing part of it, the finished process, um, He'd, uh, he knew what he wanted to bring out from the images, even though that may not be necessarily something you'd share. Yes, yeah, he did. And, and I, you know, for a lot of my images, I tend to work in series, as you, you're aware. And you know, I know when I'm look, taking those images, how they're going to be processed and how they're going to be produced. Mm. But the way those, a lot of those series start may be accident and there may be processing accidents in some cases. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I don't, I don't subscribe to this view that you have to have um, predefined everything you're going to do before you set out with your camera mm. you know the uh, the large format film photographer who who has this one image in mind hikes to the the point in the landscape sets up their camera waits four hours exposes one frame of film and that's perfect um, and actually some digital photographers work in the same way you know there's almost a competition to see how few frames of film you can expose a location and mm-hmm. um, to produce what you want um, I don't have any problems with taking lots of pictures while I'm there because I, I tend to sort of think on my feet while I'm in mm-hmm. the landscape and, and things change, clouds move. Um, I might 
not be happy with the composition when I when I look at it later on. And while you're there, why not take take some more pictures? Mm -hmm. um, you know, we don't walk around with our eyes closed and open them at the point that we want the photograph. Um, and that's just taking this this whole extreme. Well, I, I think for, uh, I was talking to uh, to Brian uh, on the way up in the car, and I was saying how I like to spend quite a lot of time in the landscape these days. And you know, in a former previous life, I, I was one of those people who would sort of drive to the spot wait for the light and take a photograph and then leave. And I find that very unsatisfying. Um, I didn't have time to think, I didn't have time to um, develop a response to the landscape, I suppose. No, I think that's important because a lot of the time when I'm in the landscape, I'm out to enjoy the landscape and I'm walking through it and something will happen. Some light will change, the weather will change, or I'll come across something that I haven't seen before or I, or I see it in a different way. So I've seen it before, you know, even when I'm walking the same routes again and again. And that's when I think, well, this would make an interesting image and, and you know, this, this means something to me. And that's when I'll make that image. I think the, by, by preparing everything in advance and planning what you're going to do, you can only be disappointed. Mm. Because you either get the image that you've got, which is fine, you've, you've succeeded there, or 99% of the time you don't get the image that you really want and you haven't really planned. And you hear that so often, don't you? People come online and say, it wasn't what I was expecting. That's right. Or um, blaming the Met Office, you yeah, know, the exactly. weather forecast. Uh, but of course, the job of the photographer is to respond to what's in front of you. That's right. You can't you can't control the weather. Mm. Certainly not around here. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and you know you don't have much control over the light. I mean, yeah, yes, you know where the sun rises and the sun sets. Um, but, but really, I mean, for a lot of my photography, that's not important because I tend to be deep in in some woods somewhere, so the sun, mm, the sun mm. is is less of an issue. But, you know, I don't know. For, for, for instance, for today, it's lovely and snowy out there. If, if I wasn't sitting here at my kitchen table, I would undoubtedly go out for a walk somewhere. But I wouldn't have any idea about what images I was going to produce in the landscape. Mm -hmm. uh, because, you know, that, the primary reason for going would be to have a walk in the snow, enjoy the countryside, see mm -hmm. amazing views, you know, the vista of the mountains would be beautiful. I wouldn't take those pictures necessarily. Um, but then I might stumble across something in the snow, maybe some twigs poking out the snow, you know, very, very trivial, um, or, or some, some ice somewhere, a pattern of ice in, the, in a puddle. Um, and, and that might capture my attention. And I think that those things can be missed if you'll you go out with a single purpose in mind. You know, I'm going to mm -hmm. hike to this ridge, I'm going to stand at this point, I'm going to point the camera this way. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you, ha you have to look and see see what's beneath your feet sometimes as well. Sure. You know, a lot of my photography is, is not a big picture. It is very much detail and details that people would... Does this also apply to your series work? That you don't really know what you're going to take until you get there. Well, I mean, do you go out and say, I'm going to visit this particular woodland because that's where I make these images, even if maybe you don't know what the particular image is going to be? Yeah, I'll have a place in mind. Mm. I mean, several series that I've got ongoing at the moment, but, but one of them, um, Travels in a Strange Land, Dark Spaces, I couldn't confine myself to the same piece of woodland for all those images because I would actually run out of material. Mm -hmm. uh, although I do revisit the same bits of wood. Um, but I do I do look on maps and think, well, oh, that, that will be a nice bit of wood. That's got potential. Or there's a stream down there. It might have potential. I'll go there. But then it's just a case of wandering around and, and seeing seeing what I find. And, and that particular series is, is very problematic because because they're negative images, I can't actually see a negative, mm -hmm, <laughs> like most people. So, so it, it is a bit of luck. There is a bit of serendipity in there as well. Um, but over time, you, you get a better idea of, of what's going to work and what, and what doesn't work. Mm. Um, so, so for yes, for those series, I will set out for a particular location. Um, but it's a vague area. 
you know, a, mm-hmm, a section mm-hmm. of woodland or a, a valley that looks like it might be interesting and, and often isn't. Mm. But because my you know, whole reason for being out there is to be in the landscape, I might not find anything for that series, but I might find something else. Mm. Um, and, it, and actually a lot of these series have started by, by accident, by finding something that was interesting. Maybe I could take this further. So how important are your sort of finishing processes? Obviously, you presumably take most images in colour on your digital camera and then convert them into black and white yes. in Lightroom? Yeah, I mean, they're, they're all, all the images are taken in, in raw format mm-hmm. on my digital camera. Um, and I, I don't change the display on the back of the camera to show it in black and white um, because it doesn't really help me mm. um, because I can't change the display to show it in negative, <laughs> which if I could, I, I may well do that because it may, <laughs> may save me some time. Um, do you try and see in black and white through your sort of mind's eye um, so that you get an idea of how you're going to process it when you get back? Or is that finishing process almost a, a sort of finishing touch, a layer of actually this is what I want this to say? Um, okay, so I don't, I don't see it in black and white necessarily, but most of the subject matter for that particular series are very monochromatic anyway. I mean, mm-hmm, there's not mm-hmm. much colour. If, if you looked at the original images, um, you, you wouldn't see a lot of colour in there because they're generally you know, details under tree roots and in woodland, and there's not, not a great deal of colour there. So what I tend to be looking for is making sure that there aren't too many really, really, really bright highlights because you know that, that just ruins the whole image. I don't want too many really dark blacks in there. I want to try and bring out the, what, what's in the shadows um, in, the, in these images. Uh, and to do that, I need to, I need to make sure I can actually extract the... the the detail from those shadows when I convert it to negative. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it, it's more of a, yeah, looking at the tonality of the image of the, of the of the scene and seeing whether or not it's going to work when I when I convert it to negative. So when, when the darkest things that I'm looking at that I'm trying to actually show in my images um, are visible, what's going to happen to the rest of the image? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and and I don't I don't really want that you know very hot, strong contrast black and white image that you might go out and look for when I'm looking for normal black and white landscapes. I do quite like very high contrast images. I'm a, I'm a great fan of Bill Brandt's style of, of image. Mm-hmm. Um, so I will look for that, but, but certainly for those, those images, no. Um, but but in terms of the negative, I, the, the processing afterwards, I will generally take four or five at least um, shots with slightly different compositions mm-hmm. at the mm-hmm. scene. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and because the final images are square, I, I've obviously got a bit of flexibility left and right. And, and I don't, ignore that straight away. I don't try and compose it square there because every time I've tried to do that, it never works because you never know what's going, to happen, what's going to happen when you convert it to negative. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you've got to have a bit of, a bit of flexibility to move, move the composition around a little bit when you've seen it. But then it's a case of just converting it to, to negative and then seeing whether or not there's anything there that, that you thought was there that's worth, worth cropping into, into square image. So it's part of the appeal for you, um, actually, Making those discoveries. Yes. No. I. I. Um. I think I've likened it to sort of a Victorian explorer. You get mm. a naturalist. Mm. You get go into the environment. You collect lots of samples, and my samples just happen to be digital images. You collect lots of lots of samples, and then you get back to your uh, your laboratory, and you see if you've actually discovered any new species. Mm. And sometimes mm. those new species are you know quite quite shockingly different to how you expected they would yeah. be yeah. when you convert them to negative. And and that's what I like. I like the surprise and the discovery in those negative images. It's very similar to my Marmette's Word series, which is for the benefit of those who don't know of double exposures. And um, you really don't know what's going to happen with a double exposure. 
you get to learn a little bit, but sometimes they can so radically transform an image. Yeah, very so transformative. Very, very. Uh, bring out things that are completely unexpected. And that's, uh, that's quite a delight when it works. Yes. It doesn't work that often, sadly. I suppose also with, with, the, with uh, multiple exposures, you have the option of changing it a bit when, when, you're, when you're back at the computer, if, yeah. how you combine them together, whereas... The, the, most, most definitely, yeah. 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 So unfortunately, the negative is a negative. <laughs> I can't do much with it beyond that. You know. yeah, yeah, a, yeah. a lot of them get deleted, mm. so, which, you know, again, may shock some people. You don't go out and you've, you've got this perfect mm -hmm. um, subject in, in matter in mind. And, you know, I don't, I just have a, a broad area that, that is going to provide something that I might be interested in. Yeah, um, it's worked for me as a culmination of thousands of images taken mm. over 18 months. I think I, in the end I only produced 49 images from it. But I think that's the same as, I mean, any photography, if you, if you look back at the, you know, the negatives and the contact strips of some um, really great photographers in the past, mm. there's an awful lot of rubbish in there. Mm. <laughs> you know, the Henri Cartier-Bresson, uh, um, Ansel Adams, you know, there's an awful lot of images there that you wouldn't necessarily bother printing. Mm. Um, and they haven't bothered printing in a lot of cases. Yeah. I think it's important that people experiment, isn't it? So, um, congratulations on uh, your success in this year's Landscape Photographer of the Year. Yep, well, it was a shock to me. It was, uh, it was a surprise to all of us. Yeah, I think, yeah. Yeah. I, I, think um, I, I was looking through the book the other day and I, I was very, very surprised at why I'm uh, choosing those images to put in the book because they are so different. Mm to pretty much everything else there. And, and everyone I've, I've shown the book to has said that, oh, your images are, are really quite different from the rest of the book. And I never know whether it's a compliment or not, <laughs> or whether it's a, a, a criticism that they're not real landscape photographs. Um, but, but I was very surprised they were, they were selected because of that. And I didn't enter that many of those images, those types of image, because I didn't think they had a chance, to be honest. Mm. Um, but I thought there ought to be some in there because they represent the majority of the work I'm doing at the moment. Mm, so they sure. represent me as a photographer. And so I'm, I'm particularly pleased that they chose them because you know, it's, a, it's a vindication of, of the work I've been doing, that, that you know, this is my style of photography. And you know, yes, some other people appreciate it. That's nice, mm. that's nice. Mm -hmm. I'll, start, I'll carry on doing it anyway, even if they weren't. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, that's just me. So what, does it need anything for you, commercially, personally? No, it's a bit of local publicity, it was nice. Um, Although, you know, I think an article in the Brecken and Radnor Express, the local paper, and I was saying, oh, it's, you know, it, it, it put these photographs in there and, the, and then there was a note at the end saying, oh, you can buy prints um, from this gallery in Brecken. But I think people would be very disappointed if they went there to buy those prints because they wouldn't have found the same images. <laughs> they <laughs> would have found the conventional They would have found the conventional landscapes yeah, because, yeah. because that's what's commercially viable. Mm, um, mm. So I don't think it makes a lot of difference. It's, it's, it's nice, I suppose, to have your photography recognised by your peers. Mm -hmm. Um, which which is really what it is. Mm. Um, I don't enter a lot of competitions, although actually this year I've entered quite a few, just, just for a bit of fun, but I've always entered the Landscape Photographer of the Year competition because it felt like that, that was the genre I was working in and therefore I ought to be entering my images to see how they stack up against the competition. I suppose it's competition. Um, I, and there are some images that are published every year in that competition that I'm impressed by. And I, I, you know, I wouldn't say I'd like to be able to produce them because... One thing I'm very conscious of is looking at other people's images too much to the extent you think, oh, I, want, I would like to produce something like that. And then you end up going and copying it. And that, that's really not the idea. You know, that really, your photography should be your photography and your style of photography. 
and there is a great risk when you um, see an image of a, of a place or a style of image that you like that you then just emulate that image yeah yeah um, and and I, and I know I've, I've seen people now you know, try and do that with negative images when they've seen my images and that's fine that's I think it's good to experiment mm. um, well I do it as well I mean I've tried some double exposures after seeing some of your images. Oh, mm -hmm. mine are awful. Mostly concerns the bin. They are. They are really hard. Yeah. Um, and, and equally, um, you know, if, I'm sure everybody on the beach has, has taken pictures of patterns in the sand after seeing Michael Jackson's mm -hmm. and pictures of Poppet Sands. Um, but but they're never going to be as good, and they're also never going to be as original. And, and I think originality maybe is important. Not not just for the sake of it, but it's important to have something about your work that that is definably you if you're just producing generic landscape images that anybody with a reasonable amount of expertise and talent could produce is that really satisfying i don't know for me it isn't it might be commercially satisfying if you can mm. sell those images mm. but is it artistically satisfying i mean there's a there's a recently so there's been a lot of high winds there's been a lot of um waves on the sea so Porth call everybody uh, it, it, who has a camera in Wales seems to go down there and take pictures of waves crashing over the seawall mm -hmm. and some of those images I quite like they're some quite nice images mm. um, you know, they've captured a nice wave it's a nice picture but after you've seen about 50 of them mm -hmm. <laughs> it gets a bit wearing <laughs> um, where, where's the where's the talent there it's the talent in pressing the shutter at the right moment it's the talent in how it gets processed where's the talent in just making sure you put your tripod in the place before somebody else got there uh, I, I don't know if there's well I know Porthcore quite well and I can tell you there are you know there's about 10 meters where you basically stand be able to stand if it's very windy apart from nothing else because it's uh, yeah so I mean it's, it's, it's quite <laughs> to get that shot yeah, yeah. You're not having to think an awful lot. Um, so, who or what um, influences your work then? You, you, well, from inspires you. So, from what I've just said, then obviously yeah. I don't want to be influenced by other people because by yeah. by doing that, I then end up emulating and copying them. I think. I mean, I've got a got a few photography books, like most people have. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think probably the work I find most inspiring is the work that is quite different. Um, from my own work, as I mentioned earlier, street photography. You know, I, f I find that style of photography inspiring because it, it's something I couldn't do or, or wouldn't do. Mm -hmm. um, although it's very, very far removed from the sort of images I produce. Um, so I, I find that inspiring, wanting me to sort of produce better images in my own genre. You know, can, I, can I produce images that a street photographer would look at and think, wow, you know, how, how on earth could you do that? Yeah, that 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 I suppose that's that's one thing that drives me forward. But then there are, you know, there are other images that I'm particularly inspired by. Uh, I, I I do like the more abstract forms of landscape photography. Um, now, of course, I'm just trying to think of some examples. Looking over at my photography shelf over there <laughs> is it is very hard. I mean, I, and without, of course, mentioning people like yourself, which I, I can't do because because that that would be terrible. I couldn't say that I'm inspired by your work, Rob. Um, but in terms <laughs> of in, in terms of abstract <laughs> images, I, I mentioned just now um, Mike Jackson's Poppet Sands images. I mean, mm -hmm. I find them mm -hmm. incredibly inspiring mm -hmm. um, to, on two levels. First of all, I, I love the images in the, on their own right individually as abstracts; they're, they're fantastic. But also, a single-mindedness to you know, stick with that one subject for so long and produce such a long series of images. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I, I tend to work in series quite a lot, but 
I, I don't have many series that have been going on that long. Mm. You know, that, that is really quite impressive. I, th- I think that's a testament to to not only you know your your own. Um, I think what the word is there. Um, it, it's it's trusting the art almost, isn't it? It's, it is it's trusting yourself to know that something will keep coming from it fresh. That's right, and irrespective of the feedback you're getting from other people, because mm, mm. what I've found with producing even a series, well, my current series is up to about 105 images. You know, after the first five or so, a lot of people that you're showing them to get a bit, bo- well, not I won't say bored, but they're desensitised to mm. the images. Mm. But, you know, they've seen images like that before, so it becomes harder and harder to make them go, "Wow, that's amazing! That's so mm. different," mm. Yeah, because it's part of a series, so it isn't so different. It's it's quite similar in lots of ways, but the mm. differences are very small. Mm. And to then just carry on through that and carry on producing them because you want to, I think there's there's a there's a big drive in photography especially with all online social media to produce images that instantly wow people you know, mm. if, you, if you carry on publishing images in a series and you get no responses whatsoever there's a big temptation to just stop yeah which which is wrong because you're doing it for yourself you shouldn't mm. be doing it um, for how many likes retweets follows you're getting on social media but but that's the way that the human psyche works you know we all like positive feedback mm. so to carry on with with a long series like Mike has done and um, like I'm you know I'm trying to do in some ways with some of my series is, is a challenge um, but, but you know so someone who's done that like really does inspire me um, to carry on doing what I'm doing I suppose mm-hmm. so why the series what 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 is it about series what's the difference between a series and a single image I don't find a single image very satisfying um, you can, yes, yeah, it's great. You can you can produce some nice single images, and you can appreciate them on lots of different levels. It might just be a pretty picture, um, for want of a better phrase. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, it it might you know, show show something of yourself. What, but but what a series allows you to do, I think, is really explore a subject. Um, I I don't. I don't I don't like just stop stopping at that the one even in the land in, in within the landscape and places I've been before. You know, you go back and visit them again, and although that's not a series, it's a similar thing. Um, but I also like the fact the series is a bit of a journey, and and part of that journey is that you'll go down routes that turn out to be dead ends and have to retrace your steps, and that's that's okay. You know, you're allowed to experiment. You're allowed to maybe make mistakes in a series whereas a single image that's it you're defined by that single image and you, know, you either like it or you don't and people either appreciate for what it is or, or they or they don't with the series you can sort of grow with you you can you can you know, explore new areas you can try different things and it, it can it can develop into something else I mean, some some of my series um, have had offshoots um, certainly the travels in a strange land dark spaces series there's been a few images that work quite well in color um, and that, that wasn't to be expected. There's been some other negative images um, of of different subject matter that I produced that I, you know I quite like, and you know maybe that maybe they'll form part of a new series as well. So I, I like the developing side of it. I, I like I like the fact that you you know it's not the start and finish. Mm. Uh, you can you can carry on, and I suppose when you stop a series is is the trouble. Isn't it? I mean, some some are defined quite well. You know you. Some people define their series you know, by a period of time. And this year, I'm spending a lot of time at my clear uh, standing stone over the valley um, the whole year, and, and it will end at the end of the year. That series, how it will end, I don't know. What it will look like, I don't know yet. It's only January after all. Um, but then there are some some series like my my other series, uh, 
Dark Spaces series, which yeah could go on forever. Like mm-hmm. Mike Jackson's Puppet Sound series, they could go on forever. Mm-hmm. There is potentially a, a limitless variety in nature to mm-hmm. carry on providing you with source material for your images. And do you find a series forces you to fresh to, to look afresh? Or look more closely? Or it does. Uh, your motivations or it, it, those it, things? It, it depends on the series, I suppose. Um, the with, with a series, you can very quickly um, exhaust your initial ideas, and then, then that does require you to put a bit more effort into it. I suppose. Uh, I'm just trying. To, <laughs> I, I can then think of examples where I've had series where you know you don't have to. You don't. You know you. You don't have to look afresh very much, but I, th- I think with a, certainly with more abstract images anyway. You, you know you are always constantly looking afresh, and for new, new ways of producing new images. Mm. Um, I think I could have stopped. I, I produced the first image that started that series was luck, or serendipity, as we like to call it, because luck doesn't sound as good, does it? Um, <laughs> I, you know, I, I had a subject matter. It looked it looked quite interesting. I photographed it. It didn't look so interesting after I photographed it. But then I started playing around with it um, using some of the processes I I developed and turned it into a negative. And I thought oh, that's very interesting. So all of a sudden. So I could have stopped at that. I produced this one image. Um, it, it was, you know, greatly appreciated on social media. I should have stopped at that, you know, mm-hmm. and that would have been it. Um, but but then I thought, well, this has potential. You know, this has potential, and I, you know, went out a bit again. What you know, what else? What else will produce an image um, along the lines of this that will produce something interesting when it's turned into negative? And I suppose that you know, that exploration of constantly looking for new things that that will pop out once you, 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 you convert it to negative. I suppose that's, that's driven me forward. So it's, uh, it's a beautiful day out there. There's a, there's a bit of uh, watery sunlight. Um, I just saw a red kite fly past and um, it's quite a thick layer of snow. So if you were heading out today, what would you be thinking you were looking for? Would you have a commercial eye open or would you just wander and see? I'd wander and see. I mean, I think in a day like today, with all the snow on the mountains, I just want to get up high and you know see see the landscape covered in snow. It's, it's such a beautiful sight, and you know, I would have a wander around. and And if there was anything that took my eye, I, w- I would I would try and make an image that that pleased me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wouldn't be looking for for something necessarily commercially viable. Um, that that doesn't, like I say, it doesn't bother me. It. it it's not a, uh, an issue I, I have to worry about. I'm very lucky about that. Uh, but no, I, I would, I'll be out there to enjoy the countryside really more than anything. Mm. And that's quite important to you. Yes. I mean, I think if you live in the countryside, you ought to enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think a lot of people, a lot of photographers, uh, treat the countryside as a sort of a toolbox that they can use to produce their images. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't necessarily think they're lovers of the countryside. They're mm-hmm. lovers of the image they produce when they're in the countryside. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's fine. I say if that's, that's the way they work, I don't have a problem with that. Um, but for me, first and foremost, I'm a lover of the countryside. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I can capture the essence of that countryside in uh, either a fairly straight photograph or a very abstract image um, for other people to enjoy, then that's great. Um, Do you ever find... That um, you get your camera out and you become completely absorbed in the photography, and you almost forget about your surroundings for a little while. Uh, not if I was up a mountain. I, f- I find that very hard to do when I'm out walking, pro- proper hill walking. So if mm-hmm. I've gone out for a walk, that's you know that, that, that will take precedence. If I'm in the depths of a wood, um, I, I I sometimes get more absorbed in the photographs I'm taking than the surroundings because 
to be honest the surroundings are better off forgotten sometimes because they're quite scary (laughs) you're sitting in the middle of a a dark forestry plantation uh, trying to make an image uh, with all sorts of strange uh, animal noises going on around you i i'd I'd generally rather try and try and forget those Um, but but no generally the the landscape is is what i'm looking at Mm -hmm. i don't spend um, my entire walk with the viewfinder pressed to my face Mm. looking looking for the next image um, I'll, I'll walk a very long. Sometimes I'll walk all day and maybe only get my camera out once or twice, and those images will all get deleted. Mm. Uh, I'll you know, wander around. If I see something interesting, I'll stop maybe for five, ten minutes. But then camera goes away, and it's appreciate the countryside. That's what it's all about. Uh, or also appreciate the exercise I'm getting. You know, there's a there's mm. a big element to that. Um, I think you know, like a lot of a lot of people, I don't get enough exercise, although I get a lot more than, than most people because I go out walking. And, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, part of the enjoyment is you know, getting out of breath, walking up a steep hill, mm. um, a sense of, sense of achievement, for burning off some calories, justifying that next chocolate biscuit. <laughs> Interesting, actually, because I think I've got almost... When I go out to take photographs in the landscape, I'm very, very focused on the job in hand, and it completely absorbs me. If I'm going for a walk, I'll probably actually... Generally, these days, I'll just say I'm not taking the camera so that I just focus on the walk. Do you ever get that? Um, as, as I said, no, probably, probably not. No, I, I do mm. go out for a walk, but you know, photography is always there as an option. Mm. I, I don't, I, apart from in that environment where, I, where I'm, yeah, there's nothing really to look at, um, and I've just gone out to take pictures for a certain series. Um, it, generally, my walking in the landscape is, is not focused on the photography. Mm. Photography is secondary to to the enjoyment of the landscape. Yeah. So you've got a a lot of series. You've done a lot of series. You've got quite a few up and running at the moment. Yes. Um, How many do you think you can do at one time? (laughs) 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 Well, so some some of the series that are ongoing, um, I I think I have a series called, well, I know I have a series called Unseen Beacons, Mm -hmm. uh, which is more as I see an image that I know will fit into that series, I'll take it. But I don't go out purposefully looking for images for that series. So, so I have a number of series that are sort of on the back burner um, that they will get added to over time. And at some point, they will not get added to for a very long time and we'll have to just consider them finished and that will mm-hmm. be it. But actively going out and looking for images, generally I have two, maybe three um, series ongoing at a time. But there will always be one that's taking precedence, one that I'm actually going out looking for new locations so what are you working on at the moment well i'm sort of sort of between at the moment really um mm-hmm. but I've, I've just sort of coming i say coming to the end of this travels in the strange land dark spaces series um, but i don't envisage it ending anytime soon but probably what i will do is take a bit of a rest from it while i concentrate on the, the new project for this year which is um, a, a year at my clear the standing stone um, because I, I find I can't I can't focus solely on on I can't, I can't concentrate on two projects um, to that extent. You know, mm-hmm. I, I can have the, I can have some, one main project that I'm that I'm focusing on and doing some research for, and then a number of other projects that have been um, started and are underway that I can add to, um, and I can then pause one and go on to the other one and concentrate on that more. But I can't I can't really just I can't focus on multiple projects at any one time yeah. um, to the same extent. It doesn't doesn't really work like that for me. Mm. Uh, but I can certainly have them ongoing. Okay. Tell me a little about um, Travels in a Strange Land. Um, to my mind, that's probably uh, your most distinctive series. Um, what does it mean? 
what does it mean? Well, so, so it's interesting the titles of series um, and where they where they come from. And I suppose, yeah, if you, first of all, just take the title, Travels in a Strange Land, Dark Spaces as a, as a subtitle. It really, really came out of, I mean, there's two, there's two reasons, two meanings for it. Travels in a Strange Land is partly to do with the fact that these are negative images. The strange land is, is the world viewed in negative. But also the strange land is that when these places are viewed in negative, they can take on the appearance of alien or mythical places, mythical landscapes and contain strange creatures. Um, and, and that's really the, the Travels in a Strange Land part of it. It, it has two facets. Part, partly technique and, and partly the resulting image and, and what I've been looking for and trying to produce mm-hmm. in, the, in the final images. Um, and the dark spaces part of it was, it's really because the source of these images are generally very dark spaces under trees, but under, uh, by river banks, um, under, under rocks, you know, um, fallen trees, that they're places that, that only really work when they're viewed in negative because otherwise they should be a big black hole. Mm. Um, so that's that's where the dark spaces comes from, really. And, and, and the reason that for the, the sort of two parts of the title is that uh, I initially started off with this travels in a strange land, working in negative, looking at a, a number of other other series as well. I had a very short one called uh, Alien Skies, mm. um, which they, again was negatives. That they were, were negative. They were color. They were actually images of the river surface that, that, when viewed in negative in color, do look like some strange sky or strange sunset from a planet that you can't quite recognize you know because the clouds aren't right because they're not clouds mm. um, although you don't know that when you're looking at the images so I, I suppose I, I left it open because I was so excited when I initially saw some of these negatives I thought well you know there's a lot of potential here um, which is ridiculous really because photographers you know, 20 30 years ago would be so used to seeing negative images mm-hmm. as part of their processing uh, it, w- it wouldn't be unusual at all and obviously those who still work with film now are used to seeing those negative images, but I think the population as a whole, um, although everybody's a photographer these days, of course, everybody has their their iPhone, um, and you know, a lot of a lot of people use the cameras, um, but they don't really see those images how they would have been produced um, in the days of film. So the, the idea of a negative is 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 alien mm-hmm. to them. You know, it is a strange land because it, it's not something they're expecting to see. And although you may think it's it's quite obvious, you took look at an image, you think, oh, in negative, that'll be obvious. And, you know, the blacks will be white, the whites will be black. It's not that straightforward because the, the black areas, they don't only look lighter, but they also have this sort of misty quality about them mm-hmm. when you convert them to, to negative. And it's 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 that that quality that you get when you convert an image um, to, to its negative that, that gives it this, this strange appearance um, that makes you think you are in a, you know, in a different land and some of some of the images are more like that than others you know, some some could be sort of taken in the sort of jurassic era you, you could imagine dinosaurs roaming and some um are sort of middle earth style images i mean I'm, I'm not into that sort of fantasy landscape thing um from a literature point of view or uh, you know as a whole but i like the way that you can transform something that's so banal you know a, an upturned tree and its roots sticking out mm-hmm, that if mm-hmm. you were looking at it in the in the woods you, you wouldn't look at it I mean, you just walk straight past it and i suppose that is again another part of the appeal of this series is that these are all landscapes that most people would walk past without giving them a second look mm. um, they're places that many people have walked past 
I, w- I doubt if anybody has stopped to take a picture. I doubt if anybody will go back and take a picture. Probably not even me, because I'm not going to re- revisit a lot of these places. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and that they are, however, unique landscapes um, that you can find on your doorstep. Uh, you know, people people spend a lot of money going on world trips to photograph the, the great landscapes of the world. You know, Iceland. How many photographers want to go to Iceland if they haven't been already? Um, or, 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 I should at this point point out that Matt did go to Iceland last year. But anyway, uh, yes, I, I did. <laughs> I, 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 it was primarily a walking trip, although I did take a few photographs. Um, but but yes, I mean that's that. You know, they're, they're, those are amazing landscapes. But you have to travel a long way to get to them, and because they are now such iconic landscapes, everybody travels them to get them, and therefore the world is flooded with these images of these amazing landscapes, and that desensitizes people to them to a certain extent and, and sometimes you know some, somehow an iceberg on a black sand beach doesn't seem quite so amazing anymore because you've mm. already seen several hundred pictures of it mm-hmm. it's like we're talking earlier about the waves at Porth Cool. you know the first time you see one of those pictures you think wow that's an amazing wave the tenth time you see it you think oh, okay so it's quite easy to take a picture of that wave whereas the landscapes I've been looking for um, are I think just as amazing because they're you know, it's just as fantastic they're quite interesting and there's a lot of detail in some of them they're places that most people don't see, are unlikely to visit, but yet all I've done is walk down the road. You know, I haven't travelled very far. A lot of the images in that series have been made in my home village. Hmm. Uh, actually, a lot of a lot of the images in most of my recent series have been made in my home village, which you know, is quite interesting. I, I live in the Brecon Beacons. I love to go up the mountains. I love to travel to to new parts of the Brecon Beacons. But probably my most important photography, or certainly most important from my perspective. It is made walking distance from my house. You've described um, the Strange Places series as um, landscape of imagination. Um, how can photography imagine? Um, I don't know if it's the photography that's, Im- that's, that's imagining it. It's the, the people when they see those images, because I, I haven't predefined what's in each of those images. You know, they, they have a title, they have a number, um, but I'm not saying what you should see in them. And I want people to use their own imaginations to, to see the things that they see. And I know from publishing these images online on social media that sometimes people see things that are different to me. Mm-hmm. And I think that's good. I, I, I don't think that people should have to interpret my images the way I want to interpret them. You know, I, I think there's some flexibility in there for people to see their own, their own views, their own worlds in those images. Um, it's not for me to say this is what you should be seeing. You know, I, I could give a lot of. I think when I started, I thought about giving them titles that were descriptive, that described what I could see in the images or how they made me feel, which I could do as a, an expression of my own personal feelings about the images. But I'd much rather people took those images on face value and looked at them and said, "Ooh, that's interesting." You know, I can see um, a snake slithering through the undergrowth. Or you know, there's a there's a bird or a butterfly there resting on that rock where none of these things really exist in the image. I mean, they're all artifacts and part of the the process of converting them to negative. And I should maybe mention there's also a, a bit of a split tone, yeah, techie talk. There's a bit of a split tone process on there as well, which which does change the appearance of the image slightly. Um, but you know, people can see in them what what they want. That's that's fine by me. Hmm. I think when you release things out into the world let other people look at them, then then it's inevitable that they're going to take something of themselves. Yes. Uh, when they look at it. 
Yeah, I also think it makes it more interesting for other people as well. And when I look at an image and there's a massive description below it that describes you know, a more abstract image I'm talking about here, where there's a description which explains exactly what the photographer was aiming at, what, what they produced, what you should be seeing here. Mm -hmm. oh, that's great. I think that's, that's quite interesting. It's a nice image. I can, now I can see what the, but it doesn't really give me any scope to then say, well, actually I can see this in it because I, I, I somehow feel inhibited. Mm. And I, actually I should, I should mention that that is, that is the case with some of your Mamet's Wood series then. Mm -hmm. um, some of those images, I looked at them and I wanted to, I could see other things in them, but, mm. but you had words with them and that you had ideas about it. And I felt inhibited saying what I could see in them because it was nothing to do with me. They're not my face. <laughs> Far be it from me to try and interpret them. Yeah. Um, but, but uh, which, which is fine again, you know, that's, that's the way that project works. Um, but, but my own images, I'm, I'm quite happy for people to treat them in a more open-ended way. You know, just the idea that this is an alien world or this is a strange place that you, you can interpret however you like. Mm. I never really thought with Mamet's word that the words were descriptive, that actually they were more of an interplay. No, no. And I, and I think because partly it was poetry, um, I felt personally anyway that that gave me... I think you're right, it, does, it gives a lot more flexibility than, than yeah. some people's descriptions of their images, sure. which, yeah. which gives absolutely no, no flexibility whatsoever. You're allowed to see what you like in them. <laughs> <laughs> That's good, I'll go and have another look then. Yeah. So, um, what photos do you hang on your walls? <laughs> uh, you, you should note we're sitting in the one room in the house that doesn't have any of my photographs on the walls. Um, I, 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 I do have photographs on the walls. Um, maybe I should have given you a tour, shouldn't I? I, I do change them on um, a regular basis, and, and then I try to count how many days it is before my wife says, oh, you've changed the photographs. <laughs> because that's a sign of whether or not it was worth changing them, mm -hmm. and whether or not they're significantly different. Uh, I, I have some of my series of Gower seascapes on my landing just because they sort of suit the, uh, the surroundings and, and they're quite innocuous. I, I try not to put anything too challenging on the wall, I suppose, because um, my family and everybody who visits have got to live with them. Mm. Um, and I think there are some of my uh, survivors of Kano Gwinyum images in the, in the dining room, but I, I, I do change them around fairly regularly. Mm -hmm. uh, but the, the frames stay there. But I, 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 don't, I don't really think about it, to be honest. It tends to be what goes with the decor. I don't um, try and inflict my latest images on my family. <laughs> I think probably the first time my wife saw one of the um, Travels in a Strange Land Dark Spaces series uh, was when um, I told her it had been shortlisted for the Landscape Photographer of the Year. <laughs> 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 I, I do tend to keep a lot of it, um, not, not secret, but I don't, I don't tend to publicise it. it even to my friends and family a lot. So, mm. um, I sort of live this this secret life on social media where only, only other <laughs> photographers see my work. Yeah. Um, and partly that's because I don't want to keep you know showing people all the time that uh, that aren't really that interested, you know, whether or not they, 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 they care. I, I don't want to keep saying, oh, look at this new image, look at this new image. Apart from anything else, I, I, I tend to be quite prolific in the number of images I produce because I spend a lot of time in the landscape. Um, and I think my wife would get fed up if I kept saying, oh, look at the new image I took today. Look at the new image I took today. So I, I don't, don't sort of try and enforce, force them on people that aren't interested in them. So I... so are we an incestuous bunch as landscape photographers? Are we sort of making work for each other and um, not reaching out to the wider world? Well, I'd, I'd like to think that we're all making work for ourselves. Mm -hmm. And in some cases, it's appreciated by other people. But I, I think you're right, probably for you know, the majority of landscape photographers are producing work that is then appreciated by other landscape photographers. Mm. I, you know, I'd, 
I think, I think a lot of landscape photography books that are produced are not bought by the general public because they like the images. They're bought by other landscape photographers because you know, they want to see, see what's been going on, <laughs> see what sort of images uh, have been produced and, and admire them themselves. So I don't... Actually, I think that, that's one thing that Charlie Waite has tried to do with Landscape Photographer of the Year is, mm. is make it more of um, a book for public consumption by you know, trying to showcase the best of landscape photography in the in the past year. Um, but, you know, because of that, it has to appeal to, um, using the phrase, you know, the general public. Mm. <laughs> it has to appeal to, the, to the, the average average person in the street that might be interested in the landscape, and maybe that does you know, water down what gets put in the book a bit. So how does the general public um, access your work? Is it primarily online? Do you... It is, yeah. I, I'm... Like anybody, I'd love to have loads of published books of my images. Um, I, <clears throat> I, there's a couple of galleries that, that sell my work, um, primarily in, in Brecon, but again, that's the more accessible images. I, ha I have managed to persuade the owner to take a, a, a few of more interesting images that I've produced. Um, I used to sell direct in the Brecon Craft there, but you know, as part of not focusing on just producing stuff that's sold and spending all my time trying to sell it and, and you know administering all that side of things I, st I stopped doing that um, and I have self-published a few books and again you know as I've just said you know they, they, they've probably been sold to photographers <laughs> I don't suppose there are many members of the general public that have actually bought those books mm. um, I, I, I would I would love some of my images to be more wi more widely available but you know how do you go about that with without spending the majority of your time on sales and marketing activities and, and losing the time in the landscape mm. for me which is, is more important or, or taking the photographs. Is it something to do with photography in Wales? Are there not enough outlets to show the work that interests you most? I think it would be fair to say that around here there's not there's not, there's not any outlets, there's nothing at all. <laughs> <laughs> we really are in the middle of nowhere and, yeah. and I mean, initially I mean I have toyed with the idea of trying to get some exhibitions for some of my series and I, I would really like to do that with a, with a number of them mm. but there aren't that many venues close to me um, there aren't that many venues in Wales to yeah. be honest and uh, a lot of the venues that were close to me have been shut down thanks to the government cuts and the, the you know the, the slash the slashing of the, of the local authority budgets so it would be great if there were more galleries around here. I mean, I, I see online and you know, hear photographers talk about, oh, there's this gallery, we're, we're showing a work at this gallery. And I think, well, either their work is so much better, they're trying a lot harder, or there are a lot more galleries, and I don't know which it is. Mm, mm. Um, I, I, I like to think there are just a lot more galleries around there, but I suspect there, there's probably some of the other things coming to play as well. Um, but yeah, I think if there were more accessible galleries around here, I would certainly have a, a better stab at getting some of the work out there. So, um, is there much of a community of photographers uh, around you, or do you, do you ever meet people, or are you just this sort of um, wild man of the hills? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I'd like to think of myself like that, that would be good. Um, I, I mean, there, there aren't a lot of people around here, obviously, but I, I have met up with one or two other photographers, uh, landscape photographers, and... Um, I, I, t I tend not to take many photographs when I'm with a lot of landscape photographers. You know, it's a lot of landscape photographers will say, "Oh, let's, you know, we must go for a walk in the hills. We must go and take some photographs and make make some images." Mm. And and that doesn't really work for me. I mean, I personally need to be on my own to make an image 
that I like mm-hmm. that has any meaning to me um, because I don't want to be you know, flustered by somebody else setting up their tripod next to me or um, you know asking if I finished and we're ready to move on that sort of thing so I, I, I would I haven't sought out there's opportunities to go out with other photographers however it's nice to talk with other photographers um, and being in the middle of nowhere I've made a lot of use of social media to do that um, and only recently have I actually met people in real life <laughs> who I met on social media and I mean one of one of those one of the ways I did that was was um, having those images commended in landscape photographer of the year I got to go to the opening evening of the exhibition and which was quite nice to actually meet some other photographers that I've been conversing with for a couple of years mm-hmm. um, and of course meeting yourself today um, it's it's quite interesting meeting people in real life and uh, seeing whether or not they match up to their online persona uh, which yeah, thankfully most of them do <laughs> good uh, or bad uh, <laughs> I'm not sure if I do or not hopefully <laughs> <laughs> not but there, there are very few um I mean, it, yes, there are there are camera clubs, and actually in South Wales there are a lot of camera clubs, and I, I use that word camera clubs rather than photography societies because the people there. And I used to go to Swansea Camera Club. I went there for a, a year or so a few years ago because I thought I would meet like-minded people. Um, unfortunately, I'm not that interested in the gear I used to take a photograph um, or the settings the camera happened to be at at that particular time. And, and unfortunately, a lot of um, those camera clubs are more focused around the equipment that you have than the images you produce. Mm. And again, they're also more focused on, on single images than series of images. So the series doesn't mean as much in those situations. And I think maybe that will change over time because... You know, well, I'm, maybe this is wishful thinking. I'm hoping that will change over time, um, as as you know, people's photography styles change, and they still go to photographic societies or camera clubs. Uh, and certainly, I think the sort of democratisation of photography, with everybody taking pictures with their iPhone, you know, 365 days a year, some people are are producing. Sometimes, you know, people that aren't photographers are producing interesting images that maybe will encourage them to to get more involved with with a different style of photography but maybe again that's wishful thinking but no, there's there's fresh precious few opportunities to meet other photographers around here certainly i mean i suppose an iphone essentially sort of or any camera phone sort of reveals how easy it is to make an image these days it and does you need to do something more it, it does <laughs> and, and you need to do something more and that's where instagram comes in isn't it uh, <laughs> the, the the ubiquitous filters uh, and, uh, and they get poo-pooed a lot i have to say but i, I sort of ad- admire people's approaches because they're trying to do something they're trying to change the image beyond its you know snapshot value which as a photographer is something i'm trying to do all the time yeah sure. Um, so okay they're applying a standard filter or, or in some applications on their phones they're they're interacting with the image a little bit more to, mm. to provide their own filtration on it and so that's a that's a good thing they're they're trying to be creative with an image that's got to be applauded don't have any problems with that at all um, the trouble is sort of packaged filters just tend to get applied randomly um, to images um, without a lot of thought in a lot of cases um, although that that can also be said for photographers with dslrs you know there's a lot of packaged packaged filters in in software that people are using there as well yeah and actually the point of that finishing process for us as, as uh, people who value sort of self-expression through photography is actually that we're guiding people a little bit to see what we want them to see. 
Yes, yeah, we're not just applying some purchased filter just, mm. just for the sake of it. The whole, the whole purpose of the transformation that we've carried out on our images is, is to you know, produce the sort of image, to produce the sort of response that we want in mm. our viewer. Uh, given where you live, do you uh, tend to take advantage of uh, stock agencies to bring in some extra income? I, yes, I mean, I, I used to use um, as one stock agency quite a lot, but I didn't go out and take pictures solely with that in mind. Um, I would upload images I had, and, and yes, there is a market there, or at least there was a market there. Um, in, in recent years, that market has, has diminished quite a lot. I think that the prices paid for stock images has, has dramatically reduced, making it less commercially viable for a lot of photographers to pursue that route. Although I, I, I'm well aware that there's a photographer in Aberystwyth who's making £50,000 a year uh, or $50,000 a year from stock, which, uh, which is an achievement to be applauded. Um, but I think you've got to be very single-minded to pursue that, and I, you know, I'm not that commercially focused to, to worry about that. The, the other problem with stock and producing images that your local newspapers and the other media outlets would want to use is that these days they can get most of their images for free off off Twitter and off Facebook. You know, I, I, I'm guilty of this as much as anyone else. Certainly the Brecon Beacons National Park Authority um, regularly share my images from Facebook on their page. And I don't mind that because for me that's just you know, promotion of the Brecon Beacons, promotion of the environment in which we live and you know, there's some nice pictures, so I don't have any problems with that. But and they credit you, I assume. Oh yes, yeah. well, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They, they always, always, always do that. So that's not a problem. So it's not bad publicity. No, case. no, and that's that's why I don't have a problem with it. But you know, national newspapers and national media outlets are also starting to pursue this um, process. I mean, I think the BBC website app on phones now has an option where you can upload your own photo for them mm -hmm. you know, to use. Mm -hmm. uh, there's no, there's no question of any money changing hands it's just uh, the, the gratitude of, uh, that you will have for having your image in national media uh, and so I think I think that's going to you know, disappear more and more certainly it's everybody's taking pictures it's certainly daylight today it's lovely and snowy um, I would imagine on Facebook and Twitter by the end of the day there'll be several hundred certainly in my feed of, of pictures of snowy Brecon beacons and most of those will be made fairly freely available for publications to satisfy the the ego, should we say, of, of the photographer, um, and you know that that is seen as by some photographers as a terrible thing that you're destroying the industry and you're um, just devaluing photography. But maybe a lot of those images didn't have a lot of value in the first place. You know, mm. If they're if they're that easy to capture, mm -hmm. um, then you know maybe maybe they don't have value and, and shouldn't have value. In the past, with stock imagery. There was a lot of value because it took a lot of effort to go out there and take a picture and develop the film and you know, get it printed and catalogued and indexed and keyworded. Um, you know, the, these days, I, I have an app on my own phone um, which allows me to upload iPhone photographs straight to a stock library. And, and I do it for some random images that I take on my phone that aren't going to be used anywhere else. A bit of fun. And, and yeah, they, you know, they do occasionally pay, mm -hmm. which is it's money for nothing, really. Mm. <laughs> so it's, it's, worth, it's worth doing. But you, you can see how people um, just get sucked into this. Oh, the, the, these images I've taken anyway, it's not really worth anything. Mm. Um, just make it freely available. It's good for a bit of publicity. And I think that sort of publicity is good as long as you know, you've gone out and sought it. You, you, you're not, there, there are some images that I'm quite happy to be shared um, to, to help. You know, say to promote the national park or the landscape, that's fine. 
Um, but then the some of the series I work in, if if they started appearing on a site that was commercial and and hoping to make money either from advertising or some way by using those images, I think that would be a bit more upsetting. Um, but but generally, I think you have to accept this is the situation. If your images are generic enough that they could have been produced by anyone, uh, then uh, you know they probably don't have a lot of value. If your images are unique enough to you that everybody knows you produced them, then they're not going to be used like that. They're not going to be ripped off by, by news outlets because people will instantly recognise them. And, and to be frank, most of the images I've produced are very unlikely to be used commercially. <laughs> I think there was a... a well, they have value in a different way, they don't they? They have value in a different way, yeah. yeah. There, there was um, a, a couple of um, talks at the awards evening for the landscape photographer of the year and i think it was um, the guy from visit britain was standing up saying how all these images are fantastic and they they show the beauty of the great british landscape and will encourage people to visit the uk and i was thinking of my images that were included in the book thinking oh, to be honest my images are probably just scare people away <laughs> <laughs> all sorts of strange things in them i'm not i'm not sure they would uh, they would work as a as a yeah, media campaign to help people come and visit so the depths of Wales come and see what you might find in the forests so if we're sort of in a point of time where photography is almost becoming a free to use medium how does a photographer fight back how do they make a living well they make a living by producing something um, new and interesting and you know unique in the same way as everybody access has access to a pen or a paintbrush you know, anybody can produce a picture um, you know, at school, everybody is taught art at a certain level, um, but they don't all go on to become artists who have their work exhibited in galleries. Mm. And, and equally, there's a lot of people out there um, with cameras. They all produce photographs, but do they produce images that are worth hanging on the gallery wall? Well, there's a, there's a whole other discussion around that, I'm sure. If you can uh, find a gallery wall. Yeah, if you can find a gallery <laughs> wall, <laughs> for a start. Uh, but I think you, you need to produce something that's sufficiently interesting and challenging um, to make it unique. You know, I think I think that's how you differentiate yourself from the citizen journalist out there with their iPhone taking every picture mm-hmm. that you could previously only take with thousands of pounds worth of equipment. You know, I don't think the situation is going to get any better, but I think that there's enough photographers out there producing interesting new work that it's not really a thing to be worried about. Um, tell us what you think about um, photography education in Wales. Um, does it matter? Can you teach yourself? Uh, does it have any impact? Well, okay. So I, I first and foremost, I'd consider myself self-taught in photography. Um, I, I certainly never had any formal training when I had a darkroom in my bedroom, and you just learn through trial and error, and that that has a lot of advantages. When I um, gave up my IT job and decided to focus solely on photography. I thought I'd better go and get a qualification in it. You know, it'd be, be a good thing. Maybe also meet some like-minded people. So I enrolled myself first on a City and Guilds course and then later on, on an A-level course in Swansea College. Uh, and that was quite interesting because I, the, a couple of things I realised from being on those courses is that it's very hard to teach someone to be creative. And being creative is what's most important certainly the photography i produce um, you, you can teach people the basics of how to use a camera but i, I knew that obviously before i went there and in, in fairness most of the people that go on those courses already know the, the te- technology and you know what an f-stop is and what a shutter speed is um, so there's very limited amount of teaching you can provide in an arts-based photography degree 
Um, so we spent a lot of time just talking, which I suppose is a, is a good thing. I suppose that, that that's maybe is the positive thing about photography education is being, or the same as any education, is being surrounded by like-minded and focused people that want to try and do the same thing as you. So you can have discussions with them um, and you've got an audience, um, a ready-made audience to show your work to, mm -hmm. who ought to be interested. <laughs> you don't have to go and find it. So I, I think it's very hard to formally teach an artistic subject. Mm. And the, the people I've seen then to go on to do degrees in photography you know, have come out with some very interesting work but from what I've heard, they weren't actually taught anything there. You know, it's, it's, it's almost as if those arts-based subjects are like doing further degrees and, and research. I mean, I, I, I have a scientific background. I did a first degree and I got taught lots of stuff. Mm -hmm. and I did a um, postgraduate degree and I didn't get taught anything. I had to learn it for myself mm. uh, through trial and error. And I think that's that probably arts-based degrees are very much like that. Um, you, you can be given some basic information, but really it's about exploring... Um, the world with your camera if you're a photographer um, you know doing a lot of reading maybe work, working out what people have done in the past if, if not only to hopefully not emulate it but to avoid why you know any of the same mistakes you know it's, it's always a always good to, to study for a, from a certain point of view the, the, the history of a subject but in terms of producing your own outputs there's, there's no way that anybody can teach you creativity I think you've either got creativity or you haven't, and I, th I think there are some people that just haven't got any creativity, um, or, or maybe not in the area they're, they're, they're pursuing it in. So I think, you know, from the point of view of education, there's there's not a lot of scope for for teaching beyond the, the mechanics of, of how you produce a photograph and how you, how you develop. And Do you ever get asked by any of the uh, educational bodies in Wales to come and do a talk for their students? Um, well, first and foremost, I would probably try and avoid giving a talk if it's possible. <laughs> so I, don't, I don't like the subject. Um, I have actually given talk to a camera club in the past, and that was uh, an interesting experience, to mm. say the least. Uh, <laughs> but I, I have been uh, a, a, quite a few times now. I've I've been interviewed by students from a, a local secondary school in in Brecon, and where they teach A level photography, um, and that that's been quite interesting. Just to, just to see students who are interested in pursuing that as a you know, potential career. And the sort of questions they have, and they are very much focused around the commercial side of things. You know, they always want to know, you know, how much of your income do you make by doing portraits, or how much, you know. Mm. But they don't really ask the questions about creativity, which is quite interesting because, you know, first and foremost, I see photography as a creative pursuit. But I, th I think a lot of people go in to study photography at A level and later on degree level because they want a career in it, which is fair enough. I can understand that. And a lot of careers in photography um, obviously have to be commercially focused. You've got to make money. You've got to live. And the sort of photography you have to do to live, um, as you well know, doing weddings, mm -hmm. uh, is very different from the sort of photography we're talking about here in terms of producing a, an image that has creative input. Yeah, you're making images to please the client rather than making yeah. images to please yourself. That's right, that's right, yeah. And that's a big, big difference. And yeah. actually, one of the skill sets as a commercial photographer is actually to be able to interpret a brief. Yes, and, and maybe that is the sort of thing that, you know, at a degree level you should be taught if you're going on to study mm. photography. Yeah. That's probably a more useful thing to be taught than some of the other, you know, some of the other things you may be taught. Well, I think actually for myself, um, learning to interpret a brief almost led to sort of setting my own briefs 
Yes, so I mean, setting your own, your own goals, your own goals. Yeah. But I, th- I think, uh, you know, even in the industry I came from in IT, by taking um, someone's requirements for a piece of software and, and working that into a specification for the software, it's the same thing as, yeah. as, you know, as yeah. understanding people's stories. Um, but there, of course, is the other side to um, photography education, which is the ubiquitous workshop, which um, which any self-respecting landscape photographer ought to be offering these days, it seems. Um, and that you know there are a lot of them around here is something I personally don't like the idea of because I don't think you can create teach creativity and mm-hmm. I I don't really want to just teach someone how to use their camera. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know people people can learn that quite easily themselves. Um, I, I don't mind going for a walk with someone with their camera. That's great. You know I could I could te- help them with any technical aspects, but I don't I don't see that as an interesting thing to do from a creative point of view. And I don't I don't think you're necessarily going to make a more creative, a better photographer by going on one of these workshops. You might just be surrounded by like-minded people, and maybe that is a good thing. You know, I know I've discussed that in the past. You know, there, are, there is a lot to be gained by you know, sitting around discussing with um, like-minded photographers, um, but actually you know, going out and all photographing the same scene with your tripods lined up. I don't know. Do you think it's sort of part of the role of, a, of an artist, though, to such a, engage with um, people who are maybe interested and just try and help them to think differently or see the world differently? Help them to start to follow that path of creativity? Because yeah. it's a very personal thing. It is. How do, how do you do that, I suppose, would be my question. I, hmm. uh, it is a very, it's a very personal thing, and... You know, I, I have trouble enough explaining how I see things. <laughs> to try and explain, you know, help someone find their own vision is is a tricky thing to do. Yeah. And I think a lot of it is trial and error and experimentation. You know, you've got to you've got to go out there. And I think a, a lot of photography education is about experimentation. It's about going out there and just you know, trying this. You know, people always say, "Oh, this is the in technique for this year." Oh, yeah, that's a, your ten stop filter is so last year. But but actually, by giving someone a, a technique to go out and play with, they might produce something interesting. So I suppose there is some value in that. So we you know we all learn these techniques, we try them a few times, um, but it's once you've got this arm armory of techniques, is is actually go out and use them creatively to to try and get your message across. Mm. Um, I think unfortunately, some people stop at the accumulation of different techniques and larger bits of equipment and fancier cameras and higher resolution sensors and they think that by buying a better camera they're going to be suddenly become more creative you're, you're not you know, so some of the most creative images i've seen have been made with pinhole cameras mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and you can't get much more basic than that sure, yeah. um, i don't have the patience to wait that long <laughs> i tried it myself um do you think you have in any way a, a, a duty to up-and-coming photographers or people who are new to photography? Would you, for example, consider mentoring somebody if you thought they had some, some talent? Mentoring? Well, I, th- I think that, that's fine if it's being requested by the person. Mm-hmm. I think that there's a lot of you know, confusion with, with providing feedback to people. Some people don't want feedback on their images. Um, and And... That could be considered mentoring when you're giving that giving that feedback. Uh, sometimes it's not it's not very welcome. I tend to only give feedback to people when it's requested. Um, I, I think people 
if they're happy in the own way, the way they do things, that's that's fine. But if people are s seeking out mentoring in terms of a way of sort of furthering their photographic practice, then that then that's fine. I don't see any problem with it. I mean, you've mentioned about um, studio photographers having assistants. I think it's very difficult with landscape photography to have an you know assistant. Um, it, 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 even if you were doing it as a very commercial practice. You're such at the you know the mercy of the of the elements out there. It's very difficult to go out and specifically teach people anything. I, yeah, I I'm trying to work out how that would work in my own mind. I think a lot a lot of what I would call mentoring is you know people providing positive but con or positive and negative but constructive feedback on the the way you're going. I mean I've certainly benefited in social media in that sense that there are some people out there, yourself included actually, Rob, who provide the sort of feedback on images I want. Not, oh, that's a fantastic image, but, well, that's interesting. It makes me think of this. Yeah, have you thought about doing that? And I haven't requested that necessarily, <laughs> but I've appreciated it. Um, but I think it's very hard with some photographers to know whether or not they are open uh, to that to that sort of mentoring. And I, I think it's how you frame the, frame the response as well, though, isn't it? Uh, and I think that took me a long time to learn because sometimes I would just, you know, uh, especially on social media, it's, it's very easy to say, well, I've seen that before. Yeah, when you've only got 100 and whatever it is characters, you, it's quite easy yeah. to miss out the social, <laughs> social niceties. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> just get straight to the point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, and it, it is difficult. I don't know. I, I'm, I suppose I'm trying to work out whether or not, you know, if I, if I was going to mentor another photographer, how, how I would even approach that. Mm. Um, I, well, I, I suppose feel... what we're thinking about really is you've been on a sort of personal journey, both sort of uh, commercially and um, in terms of your self-expression. And is, is, is there a way of shortening that journey? Cross helping them cross a few bridges? I don't know. From the business side, probably, yes. Yeah. Um, from the personal the creativity side, I don't know. I think you've got to find your own way, personally. Mm. I, I think there's a danger of producing clones of yourself mm. um, in, in, in terms of the style of photography. Uh, you know, if, if I was to you know, spend a lot of time with someone mentoring them in photography, the danger is they would come out producing images with a similar processing style to me, with a similar composition to me. Um, and although that, that might be fine for those people, they might be quite happy and other people might appreciate their work, I would, I would feel like I'd done them a disservice mm -hmm. because, again, the whole point of... Of that sort of photography is to be creative and produce original original work that, that is from you so really you're saying the only answer is to get out there and do it i think so i, th I, th I personally mm -hmm. think it's you know there, there's this ten thousand hours rule isn't there about you know becoming good in anything you know you've mm -hmm. got to spend a lot of time doing it mm -hmm. and i think the time spent doing it is is perhaps more important than what people just teach you on the way I think that's a practice, experimentation, making mistakes. People are scared of making mistakes, especially when they make mistakes and they publish it on social media and people tell them it's a mistake. They don't like that at all. Mm. Um, but actually, that's probably the most valuable lesson they could have learned for their whole whole time on social media. They've, they've probably learned something <laughs> useful. Yeah. Uh, and some people, I'm sure, realise that. I mean, I, I personally don't have a problem when people are openly critical of my images, although I don't, I don't invite it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but it's a, you know it's hard to take sometimes, especially if it's an image that you're proud of. Mm -hmm. uh, 
but you know the passage of time can make you realize that that image wasn't that good or that you know there's there's something that could be improved about it but it's difficult especially if it's a very personal piece of work for people to have any opinion about it that's negative at all mm. So. Yeah, we've all been there on social media. It can be really quite painful, can't yeah, it? Yeah, it can. It can. You've invested a lot of time and yeah. energy and effort, and somebody turns around and goes, "Don't think much of that series." Yeah, and then, then the temptation <laughs> is, "Well, what would you do? Do you just do you just stop?" <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I think you should you should just carry on. I mean, mm. I, I, you know, there are some series that I've you know I've just carried on putting out there, and you don't get anything back. And I thought, well, eventually, I'll just peter out and I won't, won't bother putting anything mm. on social media because obviously nobody else is that interested. But I'm going to I'll carry on just doing it myself. That's, mm-hmm. that's fine. So. Um, is there anything you would tell your former self for what you've learned <laughs> over the years? Ah, anything I'd tell my former self? You, you know, you'd always like to go back, wouldn't you, and uh, visit, the, visit the places and, and have all that time that you had in the past with the knowledge you had now. That was, that's the trouble, isn't it? Uh, I, certainly in the, in the recent, recent past... I wish I'd, you know, in, in 2004 or whatever it is when I escaped the rat race, I wish I'd just focus on going out, producing images that I liked and, you know, learning to develop the style of image that I that I maybe ended up with now and hadn't just jumped straight into this quick, I've got to find somewhere to sell my photography. Um, You've got to, to justify your existence. Justify my existence. You know, mm-hmm. Even if I don't have to justify my existence from the point of view of you know, hand-to-mouth food and heating, uh, you know, I, I can't spend all this time on photography if it's not going to make any money. But mm-hmm. I think there are a lot of creative pursuits, you know, a lot of arts, where you, you can't justify it based on how much money it pays. You know, a, lot, a lot of visual and other performing arts just wouldn't be produced if it was solely commercially viable. Mm-hmm. So, and given that I was in the position where I maybe didn't have to worry about that, I wish I hadn't bothered. Yeah. yeah. And I think if I hadn't bothered, maybe then now I would be in a better position to find commercial outlets for my work or the sort of work that I want to have commercial outlets rather than mm-hmm. um, the, the work I was, that I was selling back then. So you would have established yourself as a, somebody who was more interested in selling personal work than... And selling commercial work. Yes, your name would be different. It, it would be, and you know, part of the problem I have now is that um, the places where my work is sold, it's associated with the um, sort of fairly straight landscape images that um, a, t- a tourist might buy, or someone local who wants a nice picture on their wall that represents the view they see out of their window. And it's been very hard to change your style in that one outlet mm-hmm. to to include your personal work. And we're not that well endowed with outlets around here for me to then just ignore that one and then let's go on to another place um, to, to try and, and sell our work. And also, you know, again, we, we are in the middle of nowhere in the countryside. Um, I'm sure in, in a cosmopolitan city like Cardiff, uh, there would be potentially more outlets um, for the sort of work I now like to produce. Or at least there might be some outlets for the sort of work I like to produce. Um, so, so, you know, maybe I have to look further afield. I suppose I've been a bit a bit lazy in in that uh, sense, and I've sort of just relied on you know internet and social media to try and get my work out there. Um, but it would be nice to have have a commercial outlet for the work I actually really value now. Mm-hmm. But it's hard when you live in the middle of nowhere. Do you think the 
monetization of photography is generally damaging? Well, obviously it is from the point of view of um, yeah, pop popular things don't necessarily make them good. <laughs> yeah, it, it, there's no you know, the, the the most popular daily newspaper in the UK is not the best quality daily newspaper in the UK, and I think the same will go for um, a lot of um, work that is commercially viable. Um, just because it's popular and it sells doesn't necessarily mean uh, it has the level of quality that some of us would like to produce in our work. So I, I, I think by monetizing it, you have to appeal to uh, not necessarily the lowest common denominator, but you have to you know, lower your aims a bit in terms of maybe the, the artistic output. I was saying it's a bit like um, the book that has been produced as part of Landscape Photography of the Year by Charlie Waite. There's there's a lot of good images in there, really good images in there that I really like, but there's a lot of images in there that um, are popularist in the sense that, you know, the, your, your grand could enjoy them. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's probably a good thing from the point of view of that book, because it will sell to the general public. Uh, I think, you know, conversely, there are a lot of art photography books that I might want to buy or I've bought that probably don't appeal to anyone. Or they don't appeal to very many people at all, and or only appeal to other photographers um, because they can appreciate the, the creative input that's gone into it. Um, but I don't think they're necessarily necessarily very commercially viable. Um, I know a book publisher that we're both aware of who's had to shy away from producing some um, photographers' work because it won't be commercially viable. Um, you know, e even those that are on the edge of you know producing fantastic photo books you know, if they've if they've got to go sell thousands of copies you know, it's, it's a lot harder to to produce interesting work out there do you think people don't recognize photography as an art form in, in, in wales i think a lot of people don't recognize photography as an art form in the world which is why about wales um, i think it is looked down upon by a lot of people in the art world um, because it's superficially very easy to produce an image. You know, you don't have to expend a lot of effort with a brush and a lot of expensive paint and a lot of hours uh, to produce an image. You can produce an image just by pressing a button. But what they don't take into account is the thought that went on before that, the thought that went on after that, um, all the images that preceded and follow it um, that, that, that make that piece of work um, more interesting um, for the viewer. I don't know. I, I think it's photography has been recognised as an art for quite a while now, um, among some people, um, but the general perception I think in in the world is that it's quite easy to produce a good photograph. You just need to buy a more expensive camera. That's... <laughs> so is there a scope for um, photographers maybe sort of banding together to help? Um, maybe exhibit their work or show their work somehow um, so that rather than each of us being an atomized individual that actually we can come together and create a greater whole I think there is a lot of potential for that and I think it's been done in some parts of the, of the country mm -hmm. or parts of the UK uh, I, I think it'd be a fantastic thing really because I think as individuals photographers have a very small voice um, and certainly when you're looking at you know, getting an exhibition in a gallery uh, it's a lot easier if there are uh, a group of photographers who can present a, a, 
whole set of different works to a gallery that maybe they could they could consider showing individually or together in the future. I think there's, you know, it's a, it's a stronger stronger voice. It's a lot harder for an individual to approach um, some places to exhibit or or sell work uh, than it is a, a larger group of people. So yeah, I think there's a huge huge scope there. Yeah, agreed.